I appreciate this series. I hope that you have, and um, if you haven't gotten the copy of the book, it's worth getting and reading. A lot of practical stuff. The biggest challenge, the biggest prayer need I have is just apply it. <laughs> uh, just applying it. But uh, Jacob did a, a wonderful job last week of summarizing the root cause of all interpersonal conflicts. And that's really what this is about, a biblical guide to resolving personal conflict. Uh, and I appreciated how he presented a snapshot of the, the four G's of uh, peacemaking which presents basically the, the, the layout of the uh, whole book. So I borrowed that slide from, from, from Jacob and uh, you know, just to remind us of how these different lessons taught by different people tie together because there, there, there is a purpose, there's rhyme and reason in the book and, and in why it was chosen for, for this summer. But when considering uh, last week's lesson, conflict starts in the heart that uh, Jacob focused on under which of these four G's would you say that subject best fits? You've got them there in front of you, but which one do you think would be where Jacob's lesson, conflict begins in the heart, where's that going to fit at? Yeah. It would seem to me to, to fit best under get the log out of your own eye. Uh, when we talk about conflict starting in the heart, it's not because of good things in our hearts because nothing good emanates from our hearts. Uh, all you gotta do is read passages like, like these from uh, Mark 7, 21 to 23, Genesis 6, 5, and we could put others that talk about what's within us, unredeemed, uh, is nothing good. Uh, Romans 3, you could go there, uh, a lot of different passages. That, um, and perhaps Perhaps some of you have noticed, uh, I, I notice this as I've been uh, reading through the book and preparing, that there's a, there's a correlation between what we're talking about here in some of these lessons and, and, and what almost always becomes the focus of good biblical counseling. Right, Mark? <laughs> uh, do I hear an echo of self-confrontation manual? <laughs> some of you that have been through uh, you know, MIT 101 or, or, or maybe done some counseling and using that or going through that self-confrontation manual yourself, well, that's really what, you know, if, if, if we do that, we'll, we'll, we'll master conflict resolution too. Uh, yeah, and uh, we, we, have, we have to focus on the heart. And each of us must focus on our own heart because there's nothing we can do to change anyone else's. And that's important realization. Sometimes hard for us to admit. Uh, we 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 want to shift to to outside of ourselves. It's somebody else's that's the problem. It's not me. Uh, but in reality, we all have these struggles, and and we need to, as as Matthew seven says, we need to look inside, examine, and see where we're at. Going back to last week, can anyone remember in? one or two words, what it is that lies at the root of all conflicts? Jacob presented this well. Anybody remember what it was? Unfulfilled desires. Unfulfilled desires or unmet desires. Uh, you know, when we desire something and that desire is not met, that becomes the, the seedbed, the root that can develop into conflict. 
And as Jacob illustrated well, in many situations, the desire is a perfectly legitimate and a good desire. Uh, we looked at several examples last week. As I was thinking about it, I thought, you know, maybe you've got a, 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 a couple that uh, the Lord has provided for them. They've been able to save up some money finally. And the husband, he wants to spend it on replacing their roof because it's 28 years old, nearing its end. It's not leaking, but wanting to be proactive. The wife wants to spend it on sending their daughter to the Christian school. And all of a sudden, conflict begins. we got three good desires there. Desire to save money that they did and stay out of debt. Desire to, to, to uh, take care of what God has provided, because he's the owner of it all, and we're stewards. Desire to have a good education for your child, where they're, they're under the word of God. And yet conflict results. <laughs> and uh, conflict is because somebody's desire is unmet. And uh, you know what, what happens is uh, you know, if unchecked, that desire will mis- metastasize into a demand and then a judgment and then a punishment which make up the four corners for a house of conflict. Uh, you know, we end up with, with, with conflict because uh, the desire I had wasn't met. The chapter for today's lesson is entitled Confession Brings Freedom. I think that also fits under getting the log out of your own eye. Uh, in fact, a number of the chapters here, a good portion of, of, of uh, this book fits under that. But as I see it, when we admit that conflict starts in the heart, that's the equivalent of recognizing the log that's there. You know, if we don't see it, uh, you know, there's, 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 there's little hope that we're going to deal with it properly. And then when we obtain freedom through confession, we begin the process of getting that log out. And uh, that's where we're going to try to focus today. As Ken, uh, I don't know, is it Sand or Sandy? Does anybody know how to pronounce that? Sandy. Sandy. As Ken Sandy begins the chapter, he, he talks about repentance. And repentance certainly encompasses confession. To confess... Uh, the, the, the word translated confess, it means to say the same thing about. And no one can biblically repent until he says the same thing about his sin that God says about it. And what God says about our sin, nothing rosy about it. <laughs> it's awful uh, and, and, and undesirable. And we need to get to the point where we see our sin in the same way. And then Sandy goes on to list some of the most likely types of sin that commonly lead us to conflict. Uh, I'm just going to quickly summarize them here, although they're worthy of further contemplation. If you've got time to go and um, pick up a copy of the book, or if you have it, look over that chapter and read through those uh, contemplatively. And, uh, but uh, we're just going to summarize them right now. But... Uh, some of the common sins that we commit that lead us, that, that, that have the potential certainly of leading us into conflict, one is, is using your tongue as a weapon. That could be through reckless, careless words, through grumbling. That's a big one, a big struggle for me. Uh, I, I, I have had to repent 
throughout the week because of uh, uh, water in the basement last weekend with the, with the rain that we had and, and, and the extra work and the hours and the, uh, you know, um, grumbling about it. Uh, falsehood. Uh, falsehood is not the same as the word lying. We think of lying as uh, well, a falsehood really is, 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 is more accurate biblical de de depiction of, of, of the, the, the commandment. Uh, you know, falsehood, you might be committing a falsehood by not saying anything. <laughs> you know, when, 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 when you're, uh, or, or deception, if you want to use that word. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, these types of things, gossip, slander, worthless talks, we all have an innate ability to use these as weapons when we want, when we have a desire that we want to be met, uh, we, we hope to, to be met, uh, you know, we, we can use our tongue as a weapon. Attempting to con control others. Um, none of us likes it when somebody does that to us, and yet we are guilty of doing that. Uh, you know, whether through, through, it might include some of the things about the tongue, uh, but uh, trying to manipulate would be another word. Uh, breaking your word. Breaking your word. It doesn't, uh, you don't have to have children very long uh, before you begin to learn that they're perceptive to when <laughs> mom and dad don't keep their word. <laughs> uh, you know, and... and uh, we need to be perceptive to our own hearts and how easy it is to do that. Failing to respect authority, uh, forgetting the golden rule, uh, do it to others as you would want others to do unto you, and then uh, um, serving sinful desires. That could be desires for physical pleasure, uh, pride, and the desire to, to always be right. Uh, love of money, love of possessions, fear of man, good things that we want too much. Uh, these are some of the, the sinful desires that uh, uh, we can serve that can uh, ca cause us to, to end up on the road toward conflict. The remainder of the chapter... Uh, that uh, this chapter that Sandy wrote, uh, it, it expands on what it means to biblically confess. But I don't want you to undercut that by, by failing to have your eyes fully opened to see how you have sinned against God and against others, or see how, how I have sinned against God and against others. Uh, regardless of our words and our actions, if we internally have a clouded perception of our own wrongs, and it's very, very easy, uh, without being immersed in the Bible and having uh, you know, uh, our, our hearts filled with the Word of God, our perception is going to be very clouded. Uh, but if we can clear away the clouds and have a more biblical, a more accurate, a more truthful perception of our own hearts and our own wrong, uh, you know, then we can get on the path to resolving conflicts. But otherwise, if it doesn't matter what you do or what you say, if your perception of your own self and your wrongs are clouded, then the attempts that you make at receiving forgiveness and at uh, working toward rec reconciliation, <clears throat> they're probably not going to go as well as you would like them to because you're not dealing 
with the internal part of your own self. Um, as Sandy states, if you really want to make peace, ask God to help you breathe grace by humbly and thoroughly admitting your wrongs. And that emphasis is added. But uh, let me give you an example of what is not a thorough admission of wrong, but what depicts the struggle we all have against the five-letter word that can squash the freedom that confession brings. And this example probably going to be humorous. Uh, some of you uh, uh, around my age will, will definitely recognize this and remember it. But uh, uh, let's let's watch this uh, about a thirty-second clip. days with the Fonz, but he had a difficult time with certain terminology, and we struggle with the same thing oftentimes. Uh, uh, in, in fact, it's, uh, I know with myself, if I look back a week, look back two weeks or a couple months or whatever, and count how many times I said to somebody I was wrong, or, or you know, I, I was wrong, would you forgive me? I know it's not enough. I know it's not enough, because uh, pride uh, is, is, uh, is, is ever-present and battling in my heart against the Spirit of God and against my flesh, uh, uh, to, uh, you know, my, my flesh battling against the, the Spirit of God and, and, and my pride to keep me from humbly and thoroughly admitting my wrong and being able to say that. Not, not twist the words and have to come in a backdoor way, but just up front, I was wrong. Practice it. Stand in front of the mirror if you need to. Uh, yeah, but um, in, in, in the time that remains, I want to cover... Um, you practice in front of the mirror, you practice in front of the wife. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. I, I, I want to cover the, uh, the, the seven A's of confession that uh, Sandy describes for us. And if we can practice these faithfully, um, we will have taken a giant leap toward the goal of resolving personal conflict. So we're going to jump right into these seven A's of, of uh, confession. The first one is address everyone involved. When you're planning to confess, you've come to the point where you can say, you've practiced and you can say, I was wrong, and you want to confess and repent and get things right. You want to get on the road toward reconciliation, receive forgiveness, address everyone involved. All sins are sins against God. I hope you realize that. I think you do. Uh, and so they need to be confessed to him. But, but Sandy makes a distinction between what he calls heart 
uh, uh, heart sins and social sins in order to help us determine who should be addressed. He calls heart sins those things that take place only in your thoughts and do not directly affect others. I'll give an example, a uh, common example uh, with, with uh, 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 a, a gender that has two specific chromosomes, <laughs> and that is uh, uh, a man who maybe has a problem with wandering eyes when he's around certain individuals. Um, it's only in his heart, most likely, uh, you know, if, if he hasn't acted upon anything, but it's, it's sin. Uh, does he, does he need to go up to, to, to every woman where his eyes have wandered and, 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 and say, look, I've been lusting against you. Would you forgive me? Probably not a good idea. <laughs> that's one that he needs. That's a heart sin. It's, 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 it's private in that sense, but it's still a sin. It needs to be confessed to God. needs to be repented of. needs to be changed. Uh, but social sins, as, as Sandy calls them, are words or actions that actually do affect other people. Uh, you know, that, 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 that could be a, a personal injury to somebody, or it could be, uh, you know, angry words uh, toward a spouse or a child or a parent or a sibling, you know, innumerable examples, but things that, that actually affect other people. Social sins, they need to be confessed to God, as all sins do, but also to those that have been affected <coughs> by them uh, with, with humility, but address Everyone involved it might be no one other than God. It might be one individual. It might be any number of individuals. You know, if it's a if it's a, a public matter uh, where where uh, a lot of people uh, were involved in the sense that they they perhaps they witnessed it or whatever. You know, it may need to be a public confession, which uh, uh, requires some some great humility. The second A, avoid. Uh, yeah, avoid if, but, and maybe. When you use these words with a confession and an apology, what they do is they, they minimize or excuse your guilt. They, they, they shift the blame to others. Here's a few examples that you see there. Uh, I'm sorry if I've done something to upset you. What's wrong with that? What does that communicate to the person you're speaking to? What'd you say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's 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 say. Well, I I really don't think I'm not convinced that I did anything wrong or I said anything wrong. But if you're upset, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I know that I said what I said probably hurt you, but you really made me angry when you did what you did. We've all said things like that. What's wrong, Mark, with the you made me angry statement? Nobody can make you angry. <laughs> That's right. Nobody can make you angry. You make yourself angry. Uh, it's your response. It's a response of your heart. Nobody else can get in there and turn a switch or, or you know, screw, screw something down tight and all of a sudden you, you, you're wired. And you, you make yourself angry. Uh, don't pass the blame on somebody else because then you're not really confessing. Uh, maybe I should have given more thought to my choice of words. Drop the maybe and it'd be okay. Uh, 
You know, the, the numerous examples could be given. Sandy gives, uh, I think, about 10 or 12 different examples of, of ways that we use these little words that you just... But the intent, the deceptive intent of our own hearts that we might not even recognize is that we're trying to escape responsibility or we're trying to shift the blame to someone else. We're trying to minimize or excuse our own guilt. And these types of statements, they, uh, uh, you know, they, 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 they mean that, they, that the person saying them is, is really still plagued by, by the Fonz complex, you know, unable to say I was wrong. The person saying them is proud and has not yet come to agree with God about, about what he has done or about what he has said, so no real confession has taken place. I liked uh, what Sandy said on page 128, these words neutralize the rest of the confession and destroy its ability to convey sincere repentance. The third A on the seven A's of confession, admit specifically. There are two things that happen when our confession has detailed specificity. One is others are more likely to believe that you are honestly repentant and thus will find it easier to forgive. And that should be our goal. We want, we want forgiveness. We want, we want a restored relationship. We want the conflict to, to, to go away. Uh, and another uh, thing that uh, uh, could happen is, is it being, being detailed and specific, it, it will help you to be able to identify the behavior that you need to change. Because if we are wrong, if we have sinned, that means our behavior needs to change because we are called to be holy as God is holy. We're commanded to be holy as God is holy. Um, Sandy offers several helpful points when applying this principle of confession, admitting specifically. He says, first, as you strive to be specific, make it a point to deal not just with your actions, but also with your attitudes. And, and that's important. Uh, it's same, same, a, a, a parallel principle with, with child rearing and raising your children. You know, when, when we, 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 hopefully we apply biblical teaching about spanking and corporal punishment, but uh, be careful that you don't just address actions because attitudes can be brewing in the heart and you might have a compliant child who's going to do everything you say or, or you know, when corrected, but inside there's rebellion churning and uh, we, we need to recognize that, not only in our children, but we need to recognize it in our own hearts, too, and, and take care of our attitudes. And, and if our attitude is not right, if our heart is not right, at peace with God, and we need to, to, to deal with those things specifically and, and with confession and repentance. And then second, if uh, in your confession... I, I like this uh, uh, point that Sandy makes. He says, try to identify the biblical principle that you violated. If you have sinned, it means you violated the Bible somewhere. Try to identify what the principle is that you have violated. This may take some, some advanced preparation and some time. But if you do that, it'll, it'll help you and it will be worth it in being able to move you toward 
uh, receiving forgiveness and toward reconciliation. A fourth uh, A of confession, acknowledge the hurt. Acknowledge the hurt. You need to express sorrow for how you have hurt the person, but only if there's genuine sorrow there. Don't try to fake it. <laughs> Don't try to fake it, because then you're just adding sin on top of sin. And you're, you're, you're digging a deeper hole and making a greater conflict. But, uh, and if you haven't gotten there yet, then go to your prayer closet and get on your knees and open the scriptures and uh, plead with the Lord to break your heart. Uh, but then, you know, when you get to the point where you are truly grieved about your own wrong, your sin, express that to the other person. And then show that you understand how the other person felt as a result of your words or actions. Sometimes you may need to uh, prime the pump to, to, to move that person toward a willingness to forgive by, by helping them to recognize that you genuinely do have some sympathy and some empathy. You may need to gently and humbly ask the person how she or he or she felt as a result of your behavior. Uh, this isn't, isn't you don't have to do this all the time, but you may need to. If, if, it's, if it's been, you know, if, if you've moved through some of these steps and you've tried to admit specifically and, and you're trying to acknowledge the hurt, but you sense that that's not being received, uh, you can maybe add this to that, and that is to, 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 to humbly ask them, hey, would you, would you mind just, uh, I, I, know it, I know what I did hurt. Would you mind just telling me how did it hurt you? you know? Or, Sandy says, another way is to, to recount, uh, describe a similar experience in your own life. Because a lot of times when we hurt somebody like this, we've also been the recipients of that type of a hurt. And maybe you, uh, uh, an example can come to your mind where you can describe, saying, you know, I, re I really understand, I think I understand how you feel because, you know, eight months ago when I was at work, this and this happened to me, and, and, and this is how I felt. And it, and it was not, not comfortable, not desirable. And I can imagine maybe that's kind of how you felt now with what I've done. And, and uh, it, it's, you're, you're expressing, acknowledging, you know, to, to the offended person, the one that you did wrong against, that, that you are, you grieve with them, that you acknowledge the pain that was afflicted, uh, inflicted because of your words or your actions. A fifth uh, principle for confession, and that is accept the consequences. If you are morally culpable, and there's no real confession if you are not, but then you try to manipulate or you try to weasel your way out of the consequences, that shirking of responsibility is counterproductive to your purported goal of reconciliation. A prime biblical example is uh, the kind of humility that's found in, in Luke chapter 15, verse 19. You all know the story of the prodigal son and how the, the prodigal came, he, he was, the, he was the, the, the younger son, yet he came and asked for his inheritance, and then he went and squandered it and wasted it and lived a, a, a profligate life. And 
uh, and then God worked in his heart, and when he came back, he didn't come back with, and you, don't, you, don't, you don't find any inkling of pride in how he approached his father and how he confessed. Instead, he said, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. In other words, he was willing to accept the consequences. He was saying, you know, I, I, I don't even know if I can call you dad anymore. I'll call you master. Just put me out there in the fields with your servants. Um, he was willing to accept the consequences. And uh, we need to do that. A sixth principle for confession. Alter your behavior. A strong motivating, a, a strong motivating factor for confession is the desire for reconciliation and a restored relationship. But for the offended party, there will be little human incentive to put forth much effort toward forgiveness if they suspect that the same offense will be repetitive in nature. In other words, if uh, um, I'll just use myself. If I have offended my wife in, in, a, in a particular way and I am motivated to, to seek her forgiveness, to be reconciled, and I come to her and, 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 and go through some of these steps, but if she senses, well, this is just going to be repeated again next week anyhow, because it's been happening over and over and over and over again, that's going to minimize her, her motivation to offer for, for forgiveness. I'm not saying she shouldn't, because... According to what Jesus said, uh, you forgive if somebody asks it, even if they're going to do it 70 times more in the same day. So, so there's, there's principles on both sides of this, but that's, I have to deal with me. Uh, and, and so I, need, I want to I open the doors wide for God's grace and God's blessing. But, uh, you know, if, 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 there's, you know if, if you can explain to the person uh, how you plan to alter your behavior in the future, that will show the sincerity of your repentance and it will also provide you with some benefits that go beyond simple mental thoughts. It will actually give you like a written plan. You know, here's, here's, what I need, here's the principles I violated. Maybe, maybe, maybe you need to enlist the help of a, of a mentor or, or an elder or someone, uh, uh, another spiritual brother or sister to help you. Hey, humble yourself. Go to them and say, hey, look, look, I've got this issue. I've got this problem, this besetting sin, and, and uh, I, I know it's wrong. I want to overcome it. Can you help me put together a plan? Can you help me? And, uh, you know, uh, if you have a plan for altering your behavior, you're much more likely to alter your behavior than if you have no plan. Uh, and, and it also leads, lends itself toward uh, more freely offered forgiveness when the offended person sees that. And then the final principle is simply to ask for forgiveness and, and allow time. There are times, and especially if the previous six steps have been followed, when forgiveness will already have been freely offered before you have to even do this, especially if it's in a, in a relationship where, where, where there's mutual love 
and, and respect and appreciation for one another. But nonetheless, unless it has already been freely verbalized, it's entirely appropriate to humbly ask, will you please forgive me? Will you please forgive me? Just saying those words is, is, is a humble admission of having done wrong and a desire to, to make it right. But I want you to heed these points of good advice, especially if there is, especially if you meet reluctance to forgive. First of all, don't seek to pressure someone into forgiving you. Sometimes, this can vary from situation to situation, sometimes it might just take some time. Sometimes it might take a long time. Be patient. Uh, allow time, being patient, being humble, being hopeful, being prayerful. And then make sure your confession was not inadequate. Perhaps a good thing if this is a situation where, where you, you, you ask for forgiveness and there's a reluctance or you, you sense there's a hesitancy, don't, don't pressure, don't push forward. Back up and say, I, I understand why maybe you don't feel like you can or you just need some time. And then you go back and go back to number one again and re re look at those first six again and see, was, was I inadequate in, in something I... Uh, you know, uh, didn't didn't address fully. Um, here are, is a is a summary listing of the seven A's of confession altogether. They're good principles to study, good principles to learn. Best of all, principles if we practice them. Uh, but let me give some final comments uh, that you could say form a, a warning also. Um, First of all, don't allow the seven A's of confession to turn into a meaningless ritual. Examining your own heart motive will distinguish between a true biblical confession and one that is merely mechanical or insincere. And that's what we want to avoid. Uh, we want to avoid that. And then here's the key step for examining your motive. When you go, this is a quote from Sandy, when you go to confess a wrong, remember that you are there to serve the other person and not to gain comfort for yourself. That's big. <laughs> That's huge. Uh, not easy. Not easy. Because when we have offended, we're also hurt because of the rupture in a relationship that we want restored. And it's easy for us to approach it with, well, I want to get rid of this discomfort of a ruptured relationship. When our focus needs to be on, I want to serve the one I offended and take care of this. Because I have created this. I have contributed to creating this. And I want it to be right before God. I wish I could say that... Uh, that I had been taught these principles as a, as a, as a young child or even as a young uh, believer. I got saved in my teen years. That, but I can't say I learned the true biblical steps of confession, certainly not in this type of detail. Probably like many of you, from my childhood memories, the, 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 the focus was often when I was a child and growing up and when I did wrong, or the focus was often on, say you're sorry, I'm sorry, you know, <laughs> and uh, some of you probably uh, experienced the same thing. 
thankfully, as a, as a growing believer, I, I was able to begin to learn some of these biblical teachings, although not systematized like this. But, uh, and, and then as a learning parent, we eventually grew to the, teach our children the importance of asking for forgiveness, not just saying you're sorry, but uh, naming the sin that you committed, naming the offense, asking for forgiveness, and helping your children to, to get beyond the speech impediment of the fawns. <laughs> You know, don't let your children grow up. I was, <laughs> help them to say, I was wrong. I sinned. And I want to make it right. And, and best way, first best way is by exampling it yourself. What we all need to do. And then teach them the scriptures. And show them these principles. Although we've not delved into it, let me just remind you, this time, time is over, but uh, in, in closing, what confession leads to. As the title of the chapter states, confession brings freedom. Freedom. And hopefully the more freedom you experience, the harder it will be to depart from it and to give it up. So my exhortation in closing for you and for myself is let's keep on confessing. Let's keep on confessing so that we can keep working toward restored God-honoring relationships to have peace as God intended us to. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that as you, your word tells us that you have made peace through the blood of your son on the cross. And Lord, uh, you've given us the example. You've given us grace. You want us to be able to model peacemaking and the maintenance of peace in our relationships. And help us, Lord, help us to hum, uh, humble our hearts Humble ourselves under your mighty hand. Lord, may we realize that if we do not humble ourselves, you sometime will humiliate us. And we will be humbled, whether we cooperate and participate and invite and practice that, or whether it be at your hand. And uh, Lord, give us grace in applying truths from your word. May you build character and godliness into our lives. Help us in inculcating and training the next generations to be effective, to be mighty in spirit and faithful servants of God. We love you. Thank you that you have first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.